0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على اشرف الانبياء والمرسلين محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا فما بعد قال تعالى اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم سُبْحَانَ الَّذِي أَسْرَى بِعَبْدِهِ لَيْلًا مِنَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ إِلَى الْمَسْجِدِ الْأَقْصَى الَّذِي بَارَكْنَ min مِنْ آيَاتِنَا إِنَّهُ هُوَ وَالْبَصِيرُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jalla who said the first ayat of Surah al Isra, Surah Al-Isra'il Glorified is the one who took Dihi, his slave من المسجد الحرام إلى المسجد المخ... الأقصى From Masjid Al-Haram to Masjid Al-Aqsa Barakna حوله لنوريه من آياتنا The surroundings of which, meaning the surroundings of Masjid Al-Aqsa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He purified them. And He took Him, He took Rasulullah ﷺ لنوريه من آياتنا To show Him some of His signs, some of the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jalla, jalla. In hu Samuel Basir, he is the one who is the all-hearer and the all-seer. He knows and hears everything and he sees everything. I remind myself and you of this ayah <coughs> for two main reasons. One is from the lessons that we learned from it, but before that, today is the 27th night of Rajab, which is usually celebrated in our countries as Laylatul Mi'raj or Shabayi Mi'raj and so on and so on. So I want to flag that and say that as Muslims it is our Aqidah, it is our belief which is based on the Quran and the Sunnah that indeed the Isra and Mi'raj of Rasulullah was true. Rasulullah as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said was taken by Allah subhanahu wa Taala from Mecca to Al-Quds to Jerusalem and from there up, raised up into the heavens all the way up to Sidratul Muntaha and beyond. Rasulullah did not see this in a dream. He did not go in the form of his ruh. He went as a normal human being. This is our akida, and this is Al-Haqq. This is the truth. The question is therefore, what should we do about it? What we do about it in our country is at least... And I'm happy that that custom is not at least not in this masjid. Alhamdulillah. Which is we take this night and we celebrate it. They put on lights and they have special food and they have one big 3 three-hour bayan and so on and so on and so on. All of this is... Against the sunnah, if somebody does this considering it to be ibadah, it is bidah. Be because Rasulullah, the one who did, who actually undertook this journey, never did this. He did not celebrate every year after that on the 27th night of Rajab as the Laylatul Mayraj. He did not do this. He did not do this. He did not tell anybody to do this. None of the Khulafar Rashida did it. None of the Sahaba did it. Nobody did it. But like most or all of bid'at, these things come up and when they come up, they become very popular because it's all fun and games. And may Allah protect us from ourselves. We are an ummah which likes events. We like events. Sometimes people come and say, nothing happens in this masjid. So, Allah, really? Nothing happens in this masjid. Nothing happens. Why? Why do we say that? Because for us, for us, five times Salah by Jama is nothing. That is nothing. So nothing happens in Masjid. So you say, okay, brother, what would you like to happen? What would you like to see? Oh, you know, you must get some Sheikh. We Sheikh? You got a Sheikh with a white beard, you got another one with a black beard. Now, what more do you want? No, some sexy outside sheikh to come and give this big bayan. No, seriously, I mean, this is something that we, we laugh at, alhamdulillah. But I'm saying this is, this is a very serious problem, which is a very, very serious spiritual problem with us. That the only thing which Rasulullah said, the most beloved thing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, most beloved. Thing to Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala is the first salah at its time. And that he said, if it is done by jamaah, you get 27 times the reward. For us, it is nothing. <clears throat> so please understand this, right? This is not a deen of of games and, and you know this event here, that event there, and we have a we have this fair, and this day we cook this food and that food and so on. No. This is the deen of Practical benefit. Now, having said that, therefore, what should we do with regard to this very, very significant event in the Seerah of Rasulullah, Al Wal Meharaj, the journey and the ascension? As we know, this, and I'm not going into the whole detail of it because we don't have the time and there's no need, you can read it in the Sira books. As you know, at the end of what is what came to be known as the Amal Huzn, the year of sadness, where Rasulullah Sallallahu lost two of his greatest supporters, Ummuna Khadija, radiyallahu anha, our mother Khadija al Kubra, radiyallahu anha, and Abu Talib, the uncle of Rasulullah S.A.W., who were his greatest supporters. He lost both of them, and that was the, the tail end of the boycott of uh, the Manu Hashim. So it was a year of great trials and tribulations and difficulties and sadness and grief and bereavement. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in order to, and of course Allah knows the, his own intentions behind that. So when I'm saying that I'm not uh, speaking on behalf of Allah. But to relieve the sadness from the heart of his Nabi, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took him on this journey. Now think about that, this journey is not just a question of distance and time and people say, Well, how did you travel? If you really look at it scientifically, this journey is not even a journey into outer space. Not even that. This journey is a multi-dimensional journey. It's not a multi it's not a stellar, multi-stellar journey or, or, or a journey from galaxy to galaxy. This is a journey which is multidimensional, from one dimension to another dimension, to another dimension, to seven dimensions and beyond. We do not, as we sit here, we do not have the capacity to understand this. We, have, we do not have the knowledge to understand this. Because there are things to understand, those things you need knowledge. We don't have this knowledge, nobody has I don't have it, you don't have it, nobody has it. Just to go from one dimension to the next... Uh, you must read Michio, Michio Kaku, the physicist, his uh, book called Hyperspace. Read that book. He says, just to go from one dimension to the next. We are, we live in a four dimensional world. Length, width, height, and time, four dimensions. He says, if you go to into the next dimension, which is the fifth dimension, none of the rules of the four dimensions will apply to the fifth dimension. A person on the fifth dimension can come in, go out, he very interestingly, I say read the book because that book will help you to understand many of the things in the Quran. One of the things he says, and he's saying this without reading the Quran or the Seerah, he says, a person from the fifth dimension can come into this dimension, operate on a person of this dimension, remove his heart, put it back, there will be no flow of blood, there will be no wound, there will be nothing because he's operating in a different dimension. <laughs> we know that this happened with Rasulullah twice in his life. Huh? By whom? Done by whom? Not by human beings. By somebody from another dimension. Allah Halam, fifth dimension, tenth dimension, we don't know. And Michio Kaku says to go from one dimension to the next, Just one dimension, just one. We're not even talking about that. In, in this Israel al-Miraj, Allah Halam, how many? But one dimension. He says the energy required is more than what would come as a result of annihilating this entire earth and everything it has. So supposing you burn this entire earth and everything it has, completely annihilated that energy which is created, that is less than what will be required to go from one dimension to the next. We are talking here about a multi-dimensional travel, Allah in the how many dimensions. So... We recognize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through His signs. I was speaking at the Bay State Hospice. And they asked me to speak about end-of-life you know, practices in Islam. So I said, let me also talk to you about Islam. Because everything is an is a opportunity for da'wah. I must never leave it. So they said, yes, of course, please. So I spoke to them, basic fundamentals. And uh, one of them says, uh, how, we cannot recognize God. I said, of course you can. She said, how? I said, through his signs. Through his ayat. He said, what is that? I said, you are one. I am another one. Look in the mirror. I said, he is the one who created the ant. <clears throat> and one of the recent discoveries is that, that ants, when they collect grain and take it into their ant hills to bury it, They break the grain, they break the rice into two. And they break the rice grain into two because if it is kept without breaking, then when it rains and there is some moisture, it sprouts. And all that rice growing inside the thing, it will destroy their nest. So they break it into two. But that's not the bottom line. The punchline is coriander seeds, they break into four parts, not two. And the reason is that coriander will sprout even if it is broken into two. So they break it into four. Ajeeb, eh? So one of them, spontaneously said, who taught the ant to break those things into four and not into two? He said, that is the question. He said, that is the question. So in this case, in the in the in the story of Israel al there are three major lessons to learn. First of all, first and foremost, the glory and magnificence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanallah, al Halam il al The glory and magnificence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that Allah can do whatever He wants. The rule maker is not subject to the rule. So all the rules of travel and time and what happens when you leave this earth and what happens when you go high, how will you breathe where there is no oxygen and so on and so forth. All of those rules do not apply to the one who makes the rules and they don't apply to the one for whom he removes those rules. The rule doesn't apply to Allah of course but the rule, but the rule should apply to Allah. But when Allah wishes, Allah will remove those things. So the rules also don't apply to him in that particular situation. So he's able to travel. He's able to travel. He's able to do and go and see whatever Allah wanted him to see and come back safely. So that's the first lesson: that the glory and magnificence of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is something that we must inculcate in our hearts and speak about this, and speak about it to our children, speak about it to ourselves, so that our hearts are filled with the glory and magnificence and nur of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Jalla Jalla. Second lesson is how do you deal with this when you hear it? And for that, the best example is the example of how Abu Bakr as Siddiq dealt with it. When Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam came, the first person that he mentioned this to after he returned was to his nurse and his foster mother, Umma Anha. This was the African lady who was the servant of his, of uh, Rasulullah sallallahu mother and who was the only human being, the only person to see Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa from the day he was born till the day he died. She was in his household from that she saw him born and she saw him passed away. Only person. Nobody else. So Umm Ayman was there and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa came and he said to her, this is what happened to me. She said, Ya Rasulullah, I believe you. But please don't tell the people about this. So she's thinking about him. He says, Don't tell the people about this. But Rasulullah said, I have been commanded to tell the people about this. So he went out. And the first person he met was Abu Jahl. And he said, He told this story Abu Jahl. Abu Jahl looked at him. He said, Ya Muhammad. Do you stay with the story? Do you, you, this Is this true? He said, yes, this is true. He said, if I bring some of my friends here, will you tell them the same story or will you change? Rasulullah said, no, I will not change. Abu, Abu Jail ran. Abu Jail would have thought that this is what I have been waiting for all my life. Here is Muhammad he is going to sink his own boat. He is going to sabotage himself. He brought a whole bunch of people and he said, Okay, Muhammad sallallahu Wasallam, tell him, tell, tell them what happened to you. And Rasulullah narrated the whole story. The people literally sort of, they laughed and hooted and they fell all over themselves. Some Muslims lost their Iman. Some people who had already entered Islam, they lost their Iman. That is how tough the story was. Think about it. These are things which are so... It's today for us to sit and talk. is easy, very easy story. Put yourself in that place. Alhamdulillah, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala kept us safe. If I had, or anybody of any of us had been standing there and if we he had heard Muhammad Sallallahu tell something like this, would you have believed him? There are people today they don't believe him. There are people today who cook up, oh no, no this only happened in a dream, and this happened, that happened. Tell me seriously, would you have believed him? On a side note, for example, you are in Jerusalem. And you know this lady called Maryam, she is pure, she is holy. And suddenly she turns up with a baby. And she didn't say, I found this baby somewhere, I brought the baby. No, my baby. And you are standing there. What would you say? What would I say? So thank Allah. Say Alhamdulillah. Today we read this story as the ayat in the Quran, in the Salah or when we are reciting Quran we say Alhamdulillah. But imagine the test for the people who were right there. Allah did not put us to this test. For us it is the ayat of the Quran. We believe because Allah is telling us. Alhamdulillah. But they were listening to Maryam, Aleyhi little girl who grew up in front of them. They were not listening to Allah. There was not Kalam of Allah at that time. This was the actual incident happening. People in Makkah were listening to Muhammad, Sallallahu Alaihi Who is Muhammad, Sallallahu Alaihi He is my brother. He is my uncle. He is my cousin. He is my nephew. He is my this. He's is my friend. He is this. He's is that. Yes, he is the Rasul, but he is also these things. Huge test. Abu Bakr Siddiq was not there. He was in his house. So one of these people who went there he, to him, and he said, "You know what your your friend is saying." So then Abu Bakr Siddiq Raddul asked him, "What is he saying?" So he said, "This is what he's saying." He went from Makkah to Jerusalem, and this and this and this. Do you believe him? Now Abu Bakr al-Siddiq's answer, radial is the classic framework on which ahadiths are authenticated. This became a rule with the muhadithun. He said, if he said that, I believe it. Huh? If he said that, I believe it. So when we authenticate a hadith, what do we authenticate? So source, we don't we don't say what Nab said, is it possible? Could it have been done? Do we understand it? Does it make sense scientifically? Does it make sense logically, philosophically? No, 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 no. None of that. Did he say it? When we say this hadith is sahih, what does it mean? It means we the the Isnad is correct all the way to Nab. Yes, he said this. We have the uh, documented evidence that he said this. We don't go into whether the thing makes logical sense or not because this would be, it would go into kofar. Because if the Rasul a.s. said something, it is sahih, this is minnallahi ta'ala jala, jala It is not necessary that I should understand it in my logic because I am a cockroach. The cockroach's brain is not capable of understanding the kalam of Allah. If, he, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said something, I as a cockroach, I say, They asked me in that meeting, they said, how do you, how do you explain the mystery of God? I said, we don't explain the mystery of God. I said, we, under, we, we, we recognize Allah by his signs. And I said, alhamdulillah, we are blessed with an enormous amount of humility. He said, we are humble enough to accept that we do not know everything. We don't know everything. So one of them who is a Jewish rabbi, he said, Maimonides, who was one of the great rabbis uh, of Judaism, he lived in the time of Andalus under the Muslim Sultan, Umayyad Sultan. He said, Maimonides said the secret of Elm of Knowledge is to learn to say, I don't know. I said, yes, Imam Malik said the same thing. Imam Malik said, the shield of the alim is, to say only Allah knows, I don't know. So the second lesson is, if Rasulullah said it, it is true. We accept the kalam of Allah and we accept the kalam of Rasulullah wasallam as true and we don't open our mouths and we don't argue and we don't say this and that and we don't put some ta'wilat and some explanations on the kalam of Allah and the kalam of the Nabi alayhi sallam. This is the second lesson to be learned from this incident. And the third and the final and the most important lesson in all of this is what? Is what we just did. Every hukum of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala All the ahkam of sharia Came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa On this earth By means of the revelation of the Quran In different forms The only hukum Which did not come on this earth But which came Seven heavens above this earth Before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Is the hukum of Sana. And that is why Rasulullah sallallahu said the salah is the mi'rajul mu'min. Mi'rajul mu'min. This is the connection between Allah and his abd. That is why he said sallallahu Alaihi when the mu'min puts his head on the floor when he is making sujood he is not making sajda on this earth. He is making sujood before the throne of ar-Rahman. Right? This is Salah. The most important thing. The only thing on which all the Sahaba were muttafaqun alay. On what? They were completely agreed upon. On what? That the one who leaves the Salah has left Islam. Because Rasulullah said, <laughs> and all the sahaba were agreed upon this. Nobody had any ikhtilaf with this. Other things they had different opinions. But this one, listen. The one who leaves, deliberately who leaves salah has left Islam. Because this is the hukum of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Which Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala gave as a inam, He gave as a as 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 a matter of of izah, as a gift. Salah is not a. This is one of the one of our biggest problems. We, we 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 learn it wrongly. We say we think about salah as a burden, salah as a duty. If I don't do it, I will get beaten up. It's not a question of don't do it. This is the beautiful gift from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Why would you not take it? Tell me. Where is the question of saying beaten up, not beaten? Why would you leave it? Why would you not take this gift from Allah Jalla Jalaam? Right? I'm not saying the, the uh, I'm not I'm not denying the the uh wa'id as far as living salah is concerned. I'm just saying that this is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the time when I stand before Allah and I talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why would I not do that? So three major things. Number one. The glory and magnificence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Second one is the truthfulness of the kalam of Allah and the kalam of the Nabi alayhi salam which we believe without question. By all means verify the authenticity of the hadith. And that doesn't mean that you have to verify it yourself. We don't have the capability of verifying it ourselves. To verify that is a specialized knowledge as well. But alhamdulillah we have the hadith which which have been verified and we know which, which those are. But when the when the hadith comes, when the text comes, our tongue must shut. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala said very very clearly: لا ترفعوا أصواتكم فوق صوت النبي. Do not raise your voice over the voice of the Nabi. Alayhi salam. Specifically, Allah did not say over the voice of Allah. No, over the voice of the Nabi. Do not raise your... What is the meaning of raise, don't raise your... It means don't argue. When the Hadith comes, don't argue about this. Don't say no, this, this means that... No, this doesn't like, apply For the olden days, those days, not these days. No. What the Nabi said, salam, we accept. And we will follow to the best of our ability. And the third thing is the importance of salah. Let us make this completely, absolutely non-negotiable in our life. That I will never ever miss any first Salat. And then we should do more which is the Sunnah Muakkadah, the, the, the confirmed Sunnah, sunnah Salat from the, in, 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 which is associated with each Fart. This is almost at the level of the Fart. So it it's not something to be discarded and not done. This must be prayed within that specific time frame. Inshallah. Right? And then of course, we ask Allah to give us the tawfir. Let us pray tahajjud, let us pray more and nawafir and so on. But this is absolutely, absolutely critical. This is the most beautiful thing that we have in our deen. Nobody else has this. Nobody else has this, has the form of ibadah given to their Nabi above the seven heavens. Nobody. Only we have. Ibadah is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for different religions Allah gave. mean different people Allah gave, same religion of Islam. But in our case, Specific given to the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam above the seven heavens. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala to keep us firm on His Deen, to keep us firm on what He commanded us, to give us the barakah and the and the and the uh, the, the noor of the Salah in our lives. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala to fill our hearts with hope of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, with the love of Rasulullah Sallallahu. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala to fill our hearts with His glory and majesty. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala to relieve the suffering of our brothers and sisters in Philistine and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be pleased with us and to enable us to live our lives in a way where he is always pleased with us until we meet him, Jalla